Welcome to another edition of the Word of God. I'm Father Reed. Each week, we hope to deliver an easy way for you and your family to dive deeper into the scriptures or help you get started in your daily Bible study. The Word of God is from the Holy Bible and is a study plan laid out in the Book of Common Prayer in a section called the Daily Lectionary. It's been used by the Episcopal Church for hundreds of years. We encourage you to try this program for at least three weeks. If it doesn't help you in terms of deepening your connection and your understanding and interpretation of scriptures, or give you a better understanding of how the Bible fits together, or ultimately helps you build a better relationship with Jesus Christ, frankly, I'd be surprised. Still, if this isn't for you, thank you for stopping by and may God bless you in your continued journey with the Lord. Now hit that like and share button. It's the easiest evangelism you'll ever do. When you like a page or a post and share it, you're helping to spread the word. So please help by liking and sharing. You can also find a complete list of the lectionary readings in this post. Now, let's look at the week coming up. The week is proper 14. And as we have looked at in the last several weeks, we have the Old Testament in 2 Samuel. We have the New Testament in Acts and the Gospel reading in Mark. So we will be studying 2 Samuel, the book of Acts toward the end, and the book of Mark. Let's start with 2 Samuel 13. Now, if you will recall, David, the second king of Israel, got himself into extraordinary trouble by having a relationship with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. And he not only sinned against the Lord by committing adultery with Bathsheba, he also was the orchestrator of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, dying. So he had her husband killed off. Nathan rebukes him in chapter 12, the prophet Nathan, and the Lord is going to have some serious consequences laid at David's feet. In fact, the baby that was born to David and Bathsheba died. Now, when we get to first chapter 13, I should say, we are going to begin a series of chapters that you're going to see in chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16 of this week which outlines the travails and the problems that David has as a consequence of him sinning against the Lord by having an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. The consequences are disastrous. People actually are going to die. Now, we start in chapter 13. I am not going to go through each of these chapters in great detail. They're quite complex. But I would encourage you to read them slowly and carefully to digest what's actually going on with the backdrop of the consequences that God laid out through the prophet Nathan to David for his sin against the Lord. Here's one example. Chapter 13, verse 1. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, 
the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became frustrated to the point of illness, verse 2, on account of her sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Now, one thing led to another. Go down to verse 10. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food here into my bedroom so that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the bread she had prepared and brought it to her brother Amnon in his bedroom. But when she took it to him to eat, he grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. Don't, my brother, she said to him, don't force me. Such a thing would not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where can I get a d d rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king. He will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Now that's right there in the Bible, 2 Samuel 13. This is an horrific offense against David, against his family, and against the Lord ultimately. As we go through chapter 13, Absalom, who is the sister of uh, Tamar, who's the sister of Absalom, who has the relationship with Amnon, Absalom kills Amnon. Two years later, two years later, so read that incredible story together. Now, as we go into chapter 14 and 15, we see the exploits of Absalom. He returns to Jerusalem, and he is trying to escape the consequences of what he did in terms of killing his brother Amnon. And he's killing his brother because of Amnon's action toward Tamar in raping her, okay? In chapter 15, we have the conspiracy of Absalom. In the course of time, verse 1, Absalom provides himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to place before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He would answer, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and uh, proper, but there's no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, verse 4, If only I would appoint a judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me, and I would see that he gets justice. And also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So Absalom is out to no good. And so David flees from Absalom. And the messenger came and told David in verse 13, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come, we must flee, and none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring ruin upon us and put the city to the sword. And so the servants obey. So Absalom takes on David, and they are father and son. And so we have a, a terrible, terrible situation, and um, we see the effects and the consequences of this relationship 
between Absalom and David. And as you go into the 16th chapter, you will continue to see the relationship between Absalom and David. And as you close out the week, please look at 2 Samuel chapter 16, 1 to 23. And you will see how they keep going back and forth between David and Absalom, Absalom and David. And of course, this will continue into next week's readings. Enjoy the complexity that you find when you sin against the Lord and then you pit one brother against brother and sister against brother and the father even gets involved. And so David, who was looking pretty good before 2 Samuel chapter 11, is now looking worse and worse as we go through the middle of 2 Samuel. Enjoy those readings for the week. Let's go to Acts chapter 20. Remember, we are looking at primarily at the exploits of Paul, who has been called by Jesus in Acts chapter 9 to take the gospel out. We're looking at chapter 20, the second half of chapter 20, and we're looking at chapter 21 and chapter 22. Now, Paul says farewell in this section, chapter 20, 17 to 38, to the Ephesian elders. He's been at Ephesus for several years, and now he has to leave. I've declared to you, I've declared to both Jews and Greeks, this is verse 21 of chapter 20, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. This is basically the gospel message. Proclaiming the gospel, which is turning to God in repentance. We need to repent and say that we are sorry for our sins and put our faith in the Lord Jesus. That's the simple gospel message. And this is the message that Paul employed in the first century to both Jews and Greeks. And now, verse 22, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. So he knows that he is going to be uh, beaten, probably. Uh, he tells us in 2 Corinthians uh, the exploits and the beatings and the ways that he was in, unjustly treated. I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God in verse 27. I've showed you everything that needs to be said. Verse 28, guard yourselves in all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God. So he's leaving them. He's not going to see them again. And they now need to take care of each other and the church of God that has been raised up as a result of Paul's work. So now they become pastors, not only evangelists, but pastors also to take care of the people that God is adding and giving them. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Those words are still great today. Be on your guard, take care of your sheep, but there'll be infiltrators, there'll be savage wolves, there'll be people that come from the outside and work from the inside to destroy you. Be very careful what you're doing. Remember that for three years I never ceased warning you. Day and night with tears. I spoke to you day and night. I was here for three years with you. I kept warning you and telling you. Now, verse 32. I commit you to God in the work of his grace, the word of his grace, 
which can build you up and give an inheritance among those who are sanctified. So remember I've told you in weeks past that Paul oftentimes in Acts has a beautiful soliloquy for us and a beautiful teaching for us. The end of chapter 20 is a good example of that. We go on into chapter 21, which we look at for four days. He goes to Jerusalem. Now, he was warned not to go to Jerusalem, but he chose to go otherwise. So he believed that God was calling him to Jerusalem. Many others believed that God was not calling him to Jerusalem because they said it would be way too dangerous. He arrives in Jerusalem and they praise God for him. And he was arrested, no surprise. When the seven days were nearly over, verse 27, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him. The whole city was aroused, verse 30. The people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. They were trying to kill him, verse 31. News reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took officers and soldiers and ran from, to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. They were going to kill him. If the Romans had not found out about them and found out that they were trying to kill Paul, Paul would have died. The commander came up and arrested Paul and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked him who he was and what he had done. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. Verse 36, the crowd that followed kept shouting away with him. And then Paul speaks to the crowd. Paul speaks to the crowd. I'm a Jew. Now he begins to say who he is. And he's going to tell them what God did for him. Chapter 22. Born a Jew. Tarshish of Cilia. Brought up in this city. Under Gamiel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted, verse 4, the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. So also the high priest and the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. So we go back to Acts chapter 9, and now he's telling us in Acts chapter 2 what happened. And then he explains how he met Jesus and he was on the road to Damascus. The God of our fathers has chosen you, verse 14, to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you've seen and heard. So he was baptized and his sins were washed away. After he had done this, Verse 22 of chapter 22. The crowd listened to Paul. They raised their voices. They had heard him speak. Shouted, rid the earth of him. It's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken to the barracks. He ordered that he be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him. As they stretched him out to flog him, they were getting ready to beat him. 
Paul said to the centurion standing by, this is very important, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? Who hasn't even been found guilty? The centurion heard this. He went to the commander. He reported, what are you going to do? This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went to Paul and said, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am. The commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen. Paul replied, last verse, 29. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. Everything changed dramatically. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. The story will be continued next week. It's a fascinating story. So he's ministering. He was in Ephesus for three years. He leaves Ephesus after praying for them and a wonderful, again, a wonderful account in the second half of 20. Very important theological, theologically and evangelistically and how to pastor a church. Then in 21, he's urged not to go to Jerusalem, but he does. And a tumult occurs, and they want to kill him. But the Romans, interestingly, are used by God to save him. Enjoy reading. Mark, Mark's Gospel. Now, we begin with Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 42. Jesus has been transfigured before him. He is at the beginning of the end as he marches his way to death at Golgotha. We are beginning in chapter 9, verse 42. Now, Jesus is, in this instance, teaching. If anyone causes you to sin, verse 42 of chapter 9, causes any one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for the, him or her to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone tied around their neck. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, etc., etc. Now, one of the key parts of reading through the scriptures, as I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, we have to interpret the scriptures correctly. He doesn't literally mean he wants you to cut your hand off, but to understand the severity of causing one of these little ones to sin. It is egregious. So do not do that. Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with each other, he concludes in verse 50. In chapter 10, he talks about divorce. In chapter 10, he then proceeds to talk about the little children and being like a little child. You probably have heard that scripture before. And then he goes into the rich young man who wanted to have inter inherit eternal life, wanted to be a Christian, wanted to follow God. Jesus says, I've kept all the commandments. Jesus says, loving him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have, verse 21, chapter 10, and give it to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven, then come follow me. But he didn't stop what he was doing and he didn't sell everything he had to follow Jesus he had great wealth and then the disciples say quite incredulously how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God the disciples were amazed children how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God 
It is easier for a camel to go through the eyes of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples said, who then can be saved? Jesus said, this is a great verse, with man it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Well, thanks be to God, that's true. Thanks be to God, that's true. We continue on with the 10th chapter. Jesus predicts his death again, that he's going to die and he's going to be raised on the third day. And then there's a request of James and John, verses 35 to 45. They wanted to sit on the right hand and the left hand in his glory. They had no idea what they were asking. Again, another teaching moment for Jesus. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, verse 43. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This follows the blind Bartimaeus healing. This is the last healing miracle in Mark's gospel. He calls Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is granted sight. He begins to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Last verse. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. So again, we have this juxtaposition of healing. Jesus is teaching. Jesus is dealing with his disciples. He's predicting his death. He's talking about divorce with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He is sharing with us the truth of the gospel. So read each of those little pericopes. We call them the pericopes, those sections. Final one, the triumphal entry. Somehow he has to go to Jerusalem. Why does he have to go there? Because it's God's will for him to die. And he has to die at Jerusalem. So he enters in Jerusalem. We call this Palm Sunday in liturgical churches. You might have heard of that. Uh, we have the one week where Jesus is in Jerusalem before he dies on Good Friday, buried uh, Friday night at sunset, and um, is resurrected on the third day. But right now, we need to get him into Jerusalem, and this is what the triumphal entry is about. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessing is the, blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. So I hope you'll enjoy the not too warm and fuzzy 2 Samuel. Lots of problems there. The beautiful work that Paul does in Acts with the Ephesian elders and his calling to Jerusalem admits tremendous obstacles. And finally, as Jesus gets closer and closer to his death, we see some wonderful teachings and wonderful lessons that the Lord wants us to share. God bless you and enjoy your reading in this week, Proper 14.